The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today in Radical Personal Finance, I've got something really special for you. If you had the opportunity to sit down for an hour with a man who started his business life with very few advantages, grew up in a poor farming town in central Florida, started his career as a plumber's assistant, and did poorly in high school, dropped out of college, but has gone on to become a respected member of the business community and a financially independent multimillionaire, would you jump at that chance? Well, today, through the magic (laughs) and power of podcasting, I bring you just such a conversation, and it's filled with little gems for you to consider to learn from and apply to your own life. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with me today. Today, I've got a good one for you, an interview with my friend, one of my personal, uh, I hate the word mentor, but just a personal uh, friend, a man I used to work for, a man named Warren Prescott, who has exactly that story. I sat down with him and was able to pull a little bit of the story out of him, and then now I get to share it with you. One of my goals with Radical Personal Finance has been to present a huge diversity of content. I've wanted to bring all kinds of topics to uh, to the show, and I'm satisfied with some of the progress that I've made toward that. Uh, I've worked hard to keep the guests diverse, to, to, to not talk about the same thing over and over again. I've tried to bring all kinds of differing and disagreeing uh, opinions and perspectives and give people an opportunity to, to share their ideas uh, and perspectives and then give you an, a, a chance to judge and and to learn. I think we can learn something from just about anybody. Is who was it? Emerson, right? Every man I meet is my 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 superior in some way, something like that. I'm I, I'm really great at remembering the essence of quotes while butchering the syntax. <laughs> so, but the point is I've tried to do that. And, and I'll tell you though, one of my disappointments for myself is I've brought a number of entrepreneurs on, but a lot of these entrepreneurs have had similar stories because they're from similar backgrounds. It is so easy for me to get a young entrepreneur who's built some sort of business in the tech space on the show. That type of person is easy for me to get on the show. I got lists of them everywhere. I get my email inbox is flooded with propositions from 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 these types of people. It's easy for me to relatively easy for me to get authors or speakers or people with a, a podcast and a brand on the show. Again, in emails, a couple emails every single day with inquiries of, of, of this type of person. But you know what? In your town, is that type of person, that avatar I just described, is that the common multimillionaire? Or is the common multimillionaire in your town more likely to be somebody who has perhaps a few more years, is not necessarily on Skype all day, every day? Are they likely to be somebody who didn't start a web business and get rich in the last decade? Are they more likely to be somebody who just runs a large, solid business of some type? 
Well, in my financial planning career, we financial planners want to work with the rich people. (laughs) That's where we make the most money, generally. And so I learned who the rich people are. And the rich people are blue-collar business people. Go and study Tom Stanley's work, just blue-collar business people. And they likely have brick-and-mortar stores, things like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with the transforming, changing world that we live in. But you got to recognize there's something to be learned from those who've been there, done it. So my intention from the beginning with Radical Personal Finance was to, to, to interview lots of these types of business people. And I've had a few on the show. But you know what? These people are tough <laughs> to get to sit down for an interview. Uh, number one, they're tough because usually I need to do it in person. And, and, and also they're tough just because they're busy or they don't want to talk on the microphone. They don't have anything to gain, which here's a little, little secret for you. If somebody doesn't have something to gain, they often don't want to tell anybody about what they're doing. So I share with you lots and lots of, of, of opinions and perspectives, and these are just not all from me. There are things I've learned from other people, but there are people who don't want to get on a microphone. For example, I know a number of very experienced real estate investors here in West Palm Beach, and I've asked them, listen, can I get you on the show? And, and, and I know their finances, and I know that they would have a lot to, to a value to add, and they just, eh, I don't want to go on a show. I don't want to talk about anything. They're practicing, what's that concept? Stealth wealth. They don't want to, they don't have anything to gain from telling people how much money they have, so they don't really do it. Now, it's not to say that some people aren't willing. So my guest today, he is willing. He doesn't have anything to gain, doesn't sell anything that any of you can buy. He's just a friend of mine, and I, I used to work for him when I was a kid. And But he has a lot to share, but still, to get him to sit down and do the microphone, I had to, I had to work really hard for a really long period of time to get him to sit down for an interview. Uh, and even in that, you're going to have to listen through. Uh, he, he's not uh, he, He's an awesome guy. He's not a dynamic uh, presenter. He didn't... Uh, belly up to the microphone the way, the way that I do with a big smile on his face, lots of enthusiasm and emotion in his voice. I had to, to, to pull it out of him. But yet this type of person can teach us so many gems, so much wisdom and knowledge. One of the things that I don't care for, a, a, a hallmark of my generation, I don't care for the way that we seem to ignore at the minor end and despise at the more harsh end, people with age. Really frustrates me how in the U.S. American society, we have a tendency to honor and revere and exalt the young and the beautiful. And we, we, we have a tendency to shun and to avoid and ignore the aged and the ugly. But yet, don't the aged have something to share with us? I encourage you, if you have a, a grandmother or grandfather, <laughs> I encourage myself. It's been, it's been too long since I've called my own grandmother. My grandmother's 101 years old, almost 102. And I, you know, to my own shame, it's been too long since I called her. So even as I begin the show, I'm reminding myself, but spend some time with, with people who have age and experience and learn from their wisdom, learn from their experiences. And most definitely... If they, you know, if they have some financial wealth, some financial independence and abundance, try to get them, uh, try to get them to to share some some with you. Just ask questions. I've had lots of friends of mine who have wanted to get on the show, and they say, "Listen, will you?" I ask them, "Will you come on the show?" And you know, and I'm talking, I'm trying not to overstate my case, but due to my experience and where I live, I know a lot of really wealthy people, and multiple multiple people. Listen, please, will you come on my show and share? Well, I'll, I'll hide your name. I'll hide your identity. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to. But they sit down with. They'll sit. Down, they will sit down with me over lunch, and talk to me and share with me. And so that's some of the content that I bring you. A uh, bit of a wordy intro here, just to, to to 
recommend to you that you take the time and also to say, I'm working hard on getting <laughs> this type of person on the show, but it, it's hard work for me uh, to do it. It's a lot easier to get somebody who can sit down and, and talk with us over Skype. But today's guest is a man named Warren Prescott. Uh, he started his, as you'll hear in the beginning of this interview, he started his as, as in a little rural town called Bell Glade, Florida, which is right here where I live in West Palm Beach. But Bell Glade is the sticks. Even today, it is the sticks. If you've ever been to South Florida here, uh, it's in Palm Beach County, but it's hard to get a more different uh, <laughs> urban. It's not even urban. It's hard to get a more different environment. It's a farming town. And my guest today, he started, as you'll hear, with nothing in a little of a farming town. Uh, but he has been extremely successful uh, and has built a really cool business. I worked for him for a total of three different uh, – two Two or three summers, uh, depending on how I count it, and some time when I was in college uh, briefly. And so he's always had a special place in my mind, and I really admire and respect him. And today I get to bring his story to you. Uh, Before I play his story for you, uh, I just want to share one sponsor today. You're going to hear in today's show um, Warren talk about the importance of savings. And you're going to hear him talk about, as I try to pull out of him the threads of what made you financially successful, you'll hear him talk about, well, I just invested. But the first thing was he had to have savings. And you'll hear through and through from the beginning of his life that he was always a saver. Well, guess what? You got to have a little bit of money to make some money. Now, you can start with your human capital and work and earn money. But then the first thing you got to do is save some. You got to pay yourself first. You got to save some. And the only way to do that is to put a plan in place that results in you getting some money out of the spending column and into the savings column. And so sponsor today's show is YNAB. You need a budget. YNAB is the very best budgeting software that I know of. And it's the budgeting software that I use every day. And here's why it's so great. When you need to save money, you can put on there a savings category on your budget. If you have a goal, and if that goal involves money as all goals do. I, I little tentative with that all because maybe there's something that doesn't involve money, but basically every goal involves money in some way. Whether kind of it involves money in some way, you need to have on your budget category at least some kind of reminder, something. You need to do something towards that goal. Uh, for example, I have a budget category on mine for I'd like to buy an RV, and I don't, it's not appropriate right now, but at some point it will be, and I just have that on my budget category, and I fund that with a little bit of money here and there. It's not a major focus. Uh, it's 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 too much of a consumption item right now while I'm still trying to build the empire with my investment items, uh, but I still put it on there to remind myself, put a little bit of money into that account, put a little money into that account, put a little money into that account. I challenge you to do the same thing. If you're not using YNAB, at least check it out. You can download a free 30-day trial. You can try it um, without any obligation. You don't give them a credit card number or anything like that. Uh, just go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Y-N-A-B. That stands for You Need a Budget, an acronym uh, affectionately called YNAB. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash YNAB. Download a free 30-day trial. Make sure that after you download the software, make sure that you go on from there and Take some classes because the software is somewhat intuitive, but the real power will become will come for you after you take some of their free online classes and learn how it really works. So RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash YNAB. Warren Prescott, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thank you very much, Josh. So I've been looking forward to having you on the show because, uh, you know, there's a bit of an age 
gap between us. And I, I find it so easy to, uh, to pin down the, you know, the internet entrepreneurs, the young guys and gals who are out running around uh, just doing things online. But I find it, uh, re- I really don't want to spend all my time interviewing internet entrepreneurs. I want to interview some entrepreneurs like you who've been there, done that for decades. But you guys are always so busy, <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't pin you down in front of a microphone. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I wanted to share, get you to share a little bit of your story, uh, specifically with business, because you've been involved in some businesses that fascinate me. Um, so I'd love to know, where did, uh, where did you and your family start? Uh, you had a privileged upbringing, right? Started with loads of money, I'd imagine. Where did you guys get your start? No, I started out, uh, let me see here. I would say I started out when I was probably 17 years old. Uh, I started out working as a plumber, as a plumber's helper. A really? A plumbing company in Belgrade, Florida. And, uh... I um, worked there for a couple of years and decided I'd always wanted to be on my own. I never really wanted to work for anybody. So uh, uh, I went to college for about a year and didn't care much about college. I wasn't a very good student. So when I come back, I, uh, I started working for the plumbing company. I worked there a couple of years and um, I... Uh, Ended up taking my plumbing test uh-huh. after a couple of years and got my master plumbing license. I worked, I was self-employed for 10 years. and uh, Working as a plumber. As a plumber, mm-hmm. yeah. I did new plumbing and, you know, rough ends and things of that nature. And, uh, of course, I'd met my wife. I was probably around 29 by then. I met my wife from West Palm and... Uh, my lovely wife, Luli, <laughs> and uh, we, uh, I wanted to change my life and get out of plumbing, so I started, uh, I was from the Glades, knew a lot of people in the sod business, so I started a little sod company, and, and uh, I actually uh, borrowed $10,000 from a doctor friend of mine and started cutting Bahia sod okay. there in West Palm off the Southern Boulevard by Lion Country Safari. And I made some good money in it. So I said, heck, this is a job I want to do. And uh, I liked the outdoors anyway. So uh, I had another buddy that was running a big sod farm and ranch in a glade, and he wanted me to come cut grass there. So uh, what I did is I asked my wife at the time. She was substitute teaching. I asked her if she wanted to get in the sod business and... I talked her into going to her mother and borrowing three thousand dollars to start her company, and uh, I trained her and showed her how to do it, and hired a guy that knew a lot about it, and so she oversaw that. And uh, by then, we had a couple of kids, so I'd get up in the morning, take the kids to school. She'd uh-huh. go to the sod farm and do her orders and stuff and then i'd go out into the glades i had another guy managing the the farm in the glades that i was cutting on and i started cutting sod out there we did that for probably five years and um i ran out of grass at this big farm and so we started working together and decided that she needed to be a stay-at-home mom and i kept going with the sod business and and, and in the meantime, I'd invest in real estate. We'd both always 
saved our money and invest in real estate. And uh, I'd buy little tracks and sell them and do odds and ends. And uh, work well, on that. Well, I want to ask you about the sod business. We'll go into kind of the real estate because uh, you've got an interesting perspective on it, especially now. But was it just from working in the plumbing business that you saw you, you met some people who were in the sod business? How did you how did you get the idea of that being your your entrepreneurial endeavor? Well, I knew I wanted to get out of the plumbing business. After. Why? Why? What was I just? I was tired of it after ten years of it, and you know, I mean, I made great money and everything. I just didn't want to be a plumber all my life, so I switched into sod. And I knew of several friends out there that had sod farms that had done very well in sod. And just basically explain the sod business. It all comes down to the margins. You just grow exactly. some grass and cut it yeah. out. And yeah, it's all volume. You know, you sell it by the semi-load. We sold it to landscapers. And uh, we just sold semi-loads of grass. You know, I got out and talked to people, met people, and sold it to different companies. And and uh, it worked out well. I, was, uh, I got along with everybody, and it just happened what was the what was the foundation with the early part of the venture? Was it uh, you going out and selling it? Was it your knowledge of of the intricacies of, of of the type of grass and how it worked, or what was the what was the thing that you did really well that led to it being successful? More me selling it, mm-hmm. you know, being able to go out and and get the grass there at, at the right time, you know, delivering it at the right place at the right time. And doing what I said I'd do. Now, that was a thing. A lot of people would, you know, take an order and not get it to the landscaper in time. And, you know, I was always good and prompt about getting it delivered on time. And that's what did it. You know, do what you say you're going to do. Was What was your, your secret to doing that? Were you a hands-on manager? Because when I... Absolutely, 100% okay. hands-on. I hired a guy that knew the sod business. I really didn't know the sod business. And I hired a gentleman in the glades that had been in it for 30 years and uh and he knew it well and i went out there and worked every day i mean we had long hours i mean we'd start at six in the morning and work to eight nine o'clock at night and uh after a few years it, you know i mean i knew about as much as you could possibly know in it and uh that's where i ventured into that and then i i just kept growing and growing and Eventually, I got into golf course business, and uh, that's where I'm at today. I do a lot of renovation on golf courses and stuff, and uh, I, of course, I bought my ranch. I bought several pieces of property, little ranches, and bought them and, and sold them and kept building up, saving my money till I bought a big one. I got a couple thousand acres now of my personal ranch, and I lease probably 10,000 acres of ranches now. For hunting or just for fun or for, for grass or? For cattle. I'm big in the cattle, cattle business now. too now. So I have cattle. I have hunting. I lease some of the hunting rights out to people. And uh, I'm still heavy in the sod in both in the glades and in the Okeechobee. When you look back at your real estate investment career, what was the first piece of real estate you ever bought? I bought a... Um, well, I'd always been in real estate. Even when I was 17, I bought my first house, $11,000. Really? Paid for a house, yeah. Did you I pay had, for it with cash, a mortgage, or how did you buy it? No, I paid cash for it. I saved my money in the plumbing, and uh, I bought it, paid 11000 I kept it probably 10 years, sold it for 
I think twenty eight thousand and uh and it worked out well. I liked that you know it wasn't a big problem renting it you know only had one of them and then i uh later on right after I got married, I bought a trailer park and a motel in cash or did you finance those um You know what? I, I'm pretty sure I paid cash for that because I'd already flipped the real estate and saved a pretty good amount of money. But uh, I had the motel, which was kind of a pain. So I kept <laughs> that for a couple of years and I flipped that and made a nice little profit. So after that, I went on and, and then I went. Uh, once I got married, I, uh, I moved over to. Um, Wellington, and then we bought a home in Lion Country Safari in Fox Trail. And uh, then I started buying stuff in Wellington. I bought uh, a 20-acre piece of uh, uh, land in Wellington in the horse country back there. This was in the, probably the early 90s. and Yeah, right when Wellington was starting to really crank up. And uh, I actually... Uh, I went to the bank, and I was going to finance that. And I talked to my banker and had the money set and ready to go. And I told my wife one night, and I was going to buy 20 acres. And she said, I lost my mind. <laughs> so I, uh, I had another older gentleman that, was a, that, that worked with me. And uh, I asked him, I said, you want to be a partner in a piece of land? He said, yeah said, how much money you need? I said, none. I already got approved. I'll just go ahead and buy it. And I talked to a realtor, and the realtor had told me if I buy it and hold it for a month that he'd be able to flip it. And uh, I bought it, paid 200000 for it, and flipped it the next month for three hundred. So I made 100000 gave him <laughs> 50000 He didn't put a dime up. He, so what what, what did he do he in the deal? Why did, you, why did you even have him in the deal then? Because my wife didn't want me to do the deal, and I, I wanted to do it, so I went ahead and did it. And he, you know, he she respected him a lot. So uh, when he said he'd be the partner with us, that's how it worked. We had a little argument over it, trust me. Yeah. But in 30 days, I, you know, I did what I said I was going to do. I gave him half the profit, and he, from that day on, I could have bought anything I wanted. He, he'd finance me in anything, but. We didn't. We really never did any other deals other than that. But have you uh, over the years? Have you preferred? Do you have a strong conviction about always using your own money, always borrowing money? How do you decide between using your own cash versus borrowing money? Well, on smaller stuff, I do. You know, two, three hundred thousand dollar deals, I do my own money. But when I started buying ranches and stuff and getting up in the millions, then I, I. I'd get it from the bank and everything. And, uh, you know, I did several deals, made, flipped it, and made a lot of money. Worked out good. I still do it to this day. What's the, what's the best deal you've ever done? The one that you came away to saying, man, I can't believe that worked out. I bought a 3,500-acre ranch and... Uh, so here in Florida? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, up in the Port St. Lucie area and... Uh, Back right before it was going fixing to go crazy in the early eighties, I guess. no, it was been in two thousand and six probably. I bought it and uh, I kept it for a year, 
and I flipped it and sold it for four times what I paid for it. That's awesome. <laughs> four times what you paid for it Absolutely. in one year. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the buyer? Was it a special deal? That- it, it was uh, a, a big company out of the Carolinas, and uh, I, I had to take on some partners on that. I had four partner, three partners, and then myself, and we all made uh, well. It, just hit it perfect. What's the worst deal you ever made? Um, I don't know. As far as real estate, I've really never lost any money in real estate. Not, you know, um, when the economy took a hit, we had already quit buying stuff, you know. Um, I bought a rock pit one time, and I just sold it here in the last year or two, and I lost money on that. But, Burked out, you know. Some of you win, some you lose. Did you expect um, the decline in real estate uh, change uh, in economy? You know, I knew it was coming. You know, I got an old saying: when the taxi driver tells you it's a good deal, it's time to time <laughs> to sell. And uh, that's what was going on. And I think most people knew we were fixing to go into a bad economy in two thousand and eight or whatever. And uh, we had already, but I'd already had a couple of deals going. I couldn't get out of them as far as I'd bought it. We were getting them developed. Uh, we weren't developing. We were actually getting the the uh, PUD on it, and then we were going to sell it to a developer, and that's how I got caught with one piece of property. Your wife told me to ask you a question about the quail. Well, Tell me the quail story. Out. I think she's trying to throw you under the bus here. but <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I was always busy doing something, so I... I raised quail when we first got married in, uh, in about 84. I, uh, I, when I was a kid, I always raised, you know, quail. I always had, you know, wildlife. So I, I bought 12,000 chicks and raised them up for a hunting preserve and ended up selling them to a hunting preserve, which was Bonnet Hunting Preserve. And uh, that was some of the hardest work I ever did. <laughs> but... Uh, Real estate's always been good to me. You know, you're in Florida. Anybody that buys in Florida and gets, you know, buys it halfway right, if they can hold on to it, they're going to be all right because everybody's going to eventually come to Florida till we're built out. That's the way I look at it now. But I do think we're fixing to go into a, you know, the economy's going to change here again in the next year or two, and it's going to take a downward hit. And everybody needs to be prepared for it. What are you doing to prepare for that? Well, I, I'm not really purchasing any land right now. Um, I'm selling some pieces that I got. Uh, I got contracts on a couple ranches that I have. And uh, I mean, the ranches are moving real good. But, uh, you know, the value's gone up so much now, it's time to get out and play, do a little fishing, play a little golf. Hmm. I'm interested to know um, how how do you and your wife handle like your business practices and your money because she is heavily involved in the business even as you said do you guys work together do you how, how do you guys handle that well we're partners you know I mean I pretty much do most of the business stuff and you know we sit down and talk about things that we want to do but uh, I do have partners now that that we work with you know because i buy bigger tracts of land now i think um 
you know, the biggest tract I ever bought was 7,000 acres. So, you know, I mean, we do buy large tracts of land. And uh, right now, you know, nobody's getting interest on their money. It's so cheap, money's cheap. So now's the time to borrow if you can, as long as you can make the payment on it, you know. That's the thing. you got to be able to make the payment and still survive. How do you find... Uh- how do you find a good business partner, a good investment partner? Well, you know, through the years I've dealt with a lot of guys and, you know, we've become friends and, I, you know, I've never really had to go look and and ask for anybody. I've always done good deals and people come to me and want to invest with me all the time. And it's, to me, it's kind of dangerous because you don't want to take somebody's money, invest in it and lose, you know. Right. And... uh it's hard to do. My people that I deal with are sound people that, you know, they understand the downwards, you know, part of what could happen. And it, and it, it will happen, but you just got to be able to hold on to it and wait it out. You know, we don't go in and buy any commercial real estate or anything like that. We buy cheaper land. I just, I don't like buying $25,000 acres. Uh, I don't do it. How do you, when you're analyzing a, a real estate deal, are you a real like number cruncher, sitting down with a spreadsheet, putting together comparable properties? Are you kind of just immersed in it and you get the feel? How do you actually analyze a deal? What are you using to make a decision? Well, I'm from the old school. I, I'm, you know, try to figure out a five or ten percent return. You know, uh, I mean, I really don't look at anything. I don't get ten percent on. Um, you know, I just look at the deals. Now, my partners are number crunchers. If I, you know, I find a deal, I take it to them, I tell them what I think, and I've never been turned down on any deal I've ever done. And I deal with some some very sophisticated people that are sharp as there are in the country. And uh, I just know good deals when I see them. And, you know, the thing now is I'm able to go and, you know, if I saw something I want to buy for $5 million a day, I could go tell somebody and put a deposit down on it and go buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'd call them up and say, hey, let's put the money together and do it, and it'd be done. I mean, I, that's, I mean it's, I've worked hard to get where I'm at on that. Right. But, I mean, there's probably not a deal that I couldn't do if I wanted to do it, as long as uh, they agree. But they've always, you know, I've always made them money. I've made them a lot of money in the past, and they all listen. You know, how um, in a normal week? I've always been interested. So I worked for you when I was a kid. Exactly and, in uh, high school, right? That was how we. Uh, that was how good. You good, good worker. <laughs> we all enjoyed. Thank you. Uh, I learned a lot and got exposed to some neat things uh, when I worked for you. But uh, in many ways, I always admired like the type of business you seem to be in. It was always my dream. You just drive around in your pickup truck and do nothing all day except talk on the phone. <laughs> and so that was always what it seemed like to, uh, you know, to a youthful kid. I was like, that's my dream of the kind of businessman I want to be. Um, but I'm interested to know, what, how do you, what type of, so in today's world, from, a, from an experienced perspective, obviously it was different 30 years ago, but today, what, do you, what does your normal week look like? What do you, what do you actually do? Well, you know, I don't I don't sleep very well, so I you know I get up early, and uh, I mean you know 
deals come to me all the time. People are always calling me with things, and, you know, I mean, I don't know why, but they do. They call me about stuff all the time. And uh, I, um, I mean, I get up, and I, I work every day just like everybody else, and I love it. I mean, I get up, I'm probably the happiest guy there is. I mean, I enjoy what I do. I, I enjoy the golf construction better than anything. So I get to deal with all the superintendents and stuff now. That's kind of my little pet peeve right now. Uh, you know, I'm doing several golf courses every summer, and it, it, it's very rewarding as far so as I'm concerned. You, you get up early. Do you read the newspaper? Do you... Do you do you watch the news? Like, what, what do you do? I don't you... hardly ever read the newspaper anymore. I watch a little bit of news in the morning, mm-hmm. see what's going on. And, you know, I just, I, I have a plan of what I'm going to do that day because I've got so many things to do. I mean, you know, you call me all, you know, you call me from time to time. And I can't hardly meet up with you. And right, I feel right. bad about it. But, you know, I'm always wheeling and dealing. And, uh, it's kind of sad, you know, but, um, I do take off from time to time, you know. In fact, now I'm getting a little older, and I'm kind of going to slow down and let my daughter and my son-in-law kind of run the company, and I'm going to back down and just do my little play things, which is the real estate. I love real estate. That's, you know, that's what I do best. Uh, so do you uh, do you schedule a breakfast meeting three days a week with people? Do you, or just at this point in time, the deals just come to you? Uh, no, I mean, I, I do have meetings all the time, but, right. um, you know, I mean, my life's a chaos, really. I'm not very organized. Um, that's, that's one thing I'd say. I'm not very organized on what I do. I mean, if somebody calls me on the phone, I go beat them then if I can, if they can't, you know. It, you know, it's just like with you. You call me three or four times, I'm always busy. Right. I'm fixing to have to leave here in just a minute and go to <laughs> interview an architect you know so do you have you intentionally how do you keep your business going if you're disorganized what have you done to keep your business going to account for that i do have people that are organized you know you can hire these young people that got good worth ethics and uh and they're organized you know you got to find somebody like that you got to be organized now you got to know your costs and everything and and that's what I do now. Is, but I used to work off the shoestring years mm-hmm. ago. I didn't do a financial statement every week and whatever. I still don't do it. At the end of the year, I sit down and figure out what I've done. You know, It's a nightmare for the accountant, but he understands me. And he's been <laughs> with me for 20 years, so <laughs> must work. I always pay taxes, so something must work. That's a good thing. Do you set goals? Um, you know, I did years ago when I was young, but now I just I'm on the cruisings. You know, I don't really. Uh, you know, I'm getting on up there now where I don't want to do all this stuff, and I do. You know, I want to play a little. You know, play a little golf and go fishing and hunting and do the things I've always wanted to do. And uh, of course, I've always done that too. I've always taken time off of the family. You know, and done that. So it's, but now it's getting more aggravating for me to have to get out and do the hustle and bustles of everything. You know, I guess I'm getting a little lazier in my old age. In fact, I know I am. <laughs> How old are you now? I'm, I'll be 62 in June. 
When you look back, you know, so let's say 62, I mean, you must have gone to your, uh, I guess, what, 40th um, high school anniversary. You probably know some of your friends that you graduated from high school with out in Belle Glade. If you were going to look and, and see, what would you say would be, can you identify any character traits, personality traits, things you did differently than some of maybe your friends that you graduated from high school with that have led to a major difference in your lifestyle over the years? No, I was always motivated to, to, you know, work for myself. I never thought about working for anybody else, and that's what I'd recommend to anybody, you know, be self-employed, you know. I've just always been that way. I never wanted to work for anybody, and uh, I've been fortunate enough that I, I did that. You know, I've only worked for a couple of people my whole life. I mean, I work for a lot of people now when I do golf courses and stuff. But I mean, it, you know, I get up and go when I want to and do what I want to do. So it's kind of like being retired as far as I'm concerned when it comes to that. But uh, no, I tell you, if if you would have took a poll of me in my high school days, they would have, uh, most of my teachers would have probably told you I'd have been a definite failure. <laughs> I was a terrible student. I was a C student if I studied. I mean, it was that bad. I, I went to college and went to a little small college in Georgia for about six months, and I'd taken classes and stuff, but I just didn't like school. I was a terrible student. And, you know, I worked hard. I was you know, my dad died when I was 18, and he taught us to work. And, you know, as long as you got good worth ethics, you can do it. I mean, but you got to have a goal, too, to say, hey, I want to have something one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a 9-to-5 guy with a, you know, job at Walmart or what have you. That wasn't never what I wanted to do. And uh, I just always liked trying to make money. And I saved it. you got to save it, you know. That was going to be my next question was as far as saving money. Obviously, you were a saver. So from, you know, at 17 years old, you said you bought an $11,000 house and paid cash for it from money you had saved. Um, two questions. Number one, how did you earn that money before you were 17 to be able to save it? And number two, how did, did your parents teach you to save? What was the factor that caused you to feel that savings was important? Well, you know, my father always, you know, told us, you know, you need to save your money and spend it wisely and all that. And uh, actually, uh, in high school, I took a uh, my probably my junior year, I did what they call DCT, where you went and you took your main classes in school, your English, your math, your histories, and you get out a half a day. And I had a job. I went to that's where I worked for this plumbing company. At. Okay. And I worked and I saved my money. And uh, matter of fact, we were doing, I was working when we did a place in Port LaBelle, Florida. I never will forget. It was a golf course community in LaBelle, Florida called Port LaBelle. And uh, I'd saved up $4,000 and I wanted to buy a lot. They had some golf course lots over there. And so I asked my dad about it. And this was before he got sick. And he says, well, I tell you what. You know, because I had the money in the savings at the bank. I went to, he said, you go to the bank, you need to start your credit. You need to learn how to have credit, you know, so you can deal with these banks in the future. And he sent me to the bank, Bank of Belglade, Wayne Michaels. And uh, I told him what I wanted to do and everything. And he said, well, being that you got the 4000 I guess because I was so young, he said, you probably ought to just pay for the lot and not really borrow any money. 
he was probably nervous, you know. Here sure, I was, probably sure. seventeen years old, wanting to buy a lot. I mean, who who thinks about doing that? Seventeen, you know. So uh, I ended up buying the lot. I kept it a couple of years, and I did sell it. And then after that, uh, I bought the house, and that's how it started. How uh, how did you train your kids to handle money? Well, uh, I've spoiled them. <laughs> They they both manage money pretty well, but uh, I mean, I just through the years and seeing how we were always open with them, you know, they knew. I mean, they never knew what we had totally, but they knew, you know, we we went and did. We had a place in the Keys, and we'd spend the summers down there. And they, you know, I, I guess it was bred into them to save, but they both save right to this day, you know. And they're just young, getting started now. They're in their early thirties, so they're. They're starting, and we don't try to give them a whole lot. They need to earn it themselves, you know, and uh, it's worked out so far very well. You say they need to earn it themselves, but you also said you spoiled them. Um, did you did you, did you do something differently now than you did when they were younger? Did you do it differently when they were younger? Well, I mean, you know, um, they didn't get allowance. You know, if they needed something, we'd get it for them. They never asked for a whole lot. You know, they always had pretty much, you know. Just like the average family, I'd say now, for sure. You know, I mean, um, you know, I guess just hearing us talk, you know, we were always an open family about things. If they had a question, we'd answer. If we had a question about them, we'd ask them, you know. It was all open, always been open. To this day, they got a question they ask. And I give them my opinion, whether it's right or wrong, you know, and they understand that too. But, uh, overall, I think it's worked out very well. A few final questions here. You ever invest in stocks? Um, I have, and I've made a little money and then I've lost a little money. Uh, I, I don't like the stock market. I've got a saying that, you know, I'm not sending my money to New York. If I'm going to mess it up, I'll mess it up myself. And I've stuck to that. And I've seen a lot of people make money. I've seen a lot of people lose money. But, you know, I can invest my money as good as anybody can as far as I'm concerned. You know, I just, that's why I buy term life insurance. Why am I going to, you know, spend it and let them invest my money? I mean, I've borrowed money from life insurance companies that buy real estate. I mean, why should I be borrowing my money when I, you know, as long as I can raise my own money and do it or have partners that do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you feel like your approach and your buddies that you, you know, you hang out with, go hunting with, do you feel like, do, do, do they believe similarly to you? They're going to invest their own money or do you, do you find that you're unique in that regard? Well, most of them that, you know, I'd say the most guys I run around with are probably self-employed, but, you know, most of them don't move, uh, you know, like I did, you know. I don't know why, but, you know, not a lot of people jump out and invest like I did. You know, I was always able to do it because I had a backup in case, I, you know, if I bought a piece of land I couldn't afford it, I always could afford it. I never bought anything I couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. So it never put me in a bind. The worst thing that could ever happen to a couple is not having enough money to make ends meet, pay the bills at the end of the month or the first of the month. You know, that's where these marriages go sour. 
and uh, as far as I'm concerned, so we we just managed our money, and we never really had a money problem because we just saved. When you look at uh, my generation, uh, and you kind of think about our future, are you? Do you look and say, man, these guys are really doing things well? Or do you look and say, man, they got some problems? What advice, like, how, how, do, you, how do you perceive it? What, what, what do you see people doing that you think they should, you know? What, if you could give ad- words of advice, let me rephrase it this way. If you could give words of advice to guys like me, just based upon your experience, people that work for you and your experience with your kids, friends, and things like that, um, what do you see that people aren't grasping that you believe is important? Well, the worth ethics, you know, people don't want to work. They think, you know, I mean, if you notice everybody drives a brand new car and got a big old car payment. Um, I mean, I drove my cars for 10 years and never thought anything about it, you know. And uh, and people are much more intelligent than they were back in my days. It, to me, it appears that way. I mean, these kids nowadays are brains, you know, they can do anything. But they want to make it too quick, and, and, and they think it's easy, and that's why you have a lot of uh, bad things happen with, let me see how I wish to phrase this. You know, people don't want to wait. These young people don't want to wait their turn, you know. Wisdom, being older and wiser really matters. And, I mean, even though I started out young, you know, I hung around with a lot of older people. I had a veterinarian doctor that I dealt with, and I did plumbing for him. And, I, you know, I, I mean, I always worked hard. You got to work hard if you're going to make it, as far as I'm concerned. You can't rely on somebody else to do it for you. And, uh, I mean, I got up. my To this day, I can go run any piece of equipment I got. I mean, uh, I do. I mean, heck, I get on a tractor and mow. That's my therapy going out there mowing on pasture. <laughs> You know, getting away from the phone and just relaxing, you know. And, uh, you know, to me, not everybody's, you know, qualified to go to college. Everybody goes to college now. There's people that should be in college that need to, you know, be electricians or things like that or what have you. Um, I would recommend all these young people, you know, start up something, but stay with it. You know, they... I see them where they, they get bad credit right off. That's the worst thing you could ever do. If you go to the bank, you borrow money, you better be willing to pay it back because the first time you get bad credit, it, it's a nightmare. They'll ask you. I remember one time years ago, I had a Sears. I'd bought something for my mother after my father passed away, and I missed a payment at Sears Roba. That thing <laughs> haunted me for 20 years. Wow. I mean, on your credit report, they put it down there. Mm-hmm. Even though I paid for it and paid it off because I was late that one time when I'd go and borrow money from a bank, you know, for a line of credit for, say, my plumbing company or whatever, they'd always ask me about that thing. It was amazing. I couldn't understand. It was probably a, uh, a $30 a month payment. And, it, you know, I just missed it one time by probably overlooking it because mm-hmm. I definitely had the money. But it haunted me. I never will forget that because, I mean, I probably had two or three banks that asked me. Even when you go borrow a car, they'd look up your credit and they'd say, well, what happened with this payment here on this one? You know, you'd have to 
I, I mean, I was wondering if I was ever going to get that off. But your credit's very important. Your words are very, very important. If you tell somebody you're going to do it, you better do it. Or you'll get a bad name. And, and it travels, you know. To me, it does. I try not, I try to do whatever I tell you I'm going to do. I try to do it, you know. I'm bad about my appointments, though. <laughs> do you think you'll ever retire? Um, no, nah, no. Nah. I mean, I'm talking about now slowing down, but no, I, I, I love the art of the deal, man. That's, you know, I live for it every day. I get up and got up this morning. I was just as happy as a lark knowing that I'm going to go out there and wheel and deal somewhere and do something. You know, it's, I mean, it's like a big game, really. As long as you don't get, you know, jump off in quicksand and get something you can't handle. But uh, no, overall, it's, I love it. I wouldn't change anything <laughs> about what I do. I'll tell you that now. I mean, I, you know, I don't spend time with my buddies and go play golf like I want to. I can go play golf at all the courses in the county, and I, you know, and I love golf. I'm just so busy right now. That's what I kind of miss right now because all my buddies are playing. They call me all the time. I can't go because I'm, you know, doing something. You're working. Yeah, working. <laughs> That's it. I love it. Warren, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Three major lessons I want you to learn from uh, the story that Warren shared with us. Number one, savings comes uh, – let me rephrase that. That's going to be number two. Number one, hard work is mandatory. Warren isn't kidding. You haven't known him, having watched him, hard work is mandatory. Now, I've seen him uh, coming along after the fact. <laughs> I came along after he had uh, had done pretty well, and he certainly likes his toys. Uh, but hard work is the foundation. If you don't have that work ethic, it's going to be very difficult to build wealth. Number two, savings and capital. You've got to have savings and capital. So if you don't have any money, go to work and get some. It's mandatory. You've got to have savings and capital. Now, notice the trend that I have pointed out, that he maintained control of that savings. He has had the ability to invest it into various operations that he's had control of. The IRA wasn't the magic ticket. It was the savings and control of it. And then finally, point number three, notice that he invested in terms of an appropriate scale. I need to do this show. The title of it is written. I mean, I can give you the, here's the 10 second version. You have to always apply the lens of scale to your investment activities. Very popular, very important show that I did. Uh, was, I forget the exact title, but in the past, search the archives. It was Lens of Scale, applying the lens of scale uh, to what you do. But you've got to apply it to the investments. There's a stage at which buying and flipping a $4,000 lot is really useful. And that $4,000 lot can lead you into buying and selling an $11,000 house. But then there's a stage at which you do $3,500 acre deals. And once you reach a certain stage of wealth, <laughs> buying and flipping an $11,000 lot just it, it doesn't do much for you. You got to find those bigger deals. So the key is to learn and practice the principles when you're small so that you're ready for that next stage. But if you don't have any money, I mean, 
hey, if you can put these deals together, fine. But if you can go out and find a $3,500 acre ranch and you don't have any money and you're flat broke, uh, you can put together some partnership deals and you can make that work, go for it. You, can, you, you call me and tell me you did it and I'll interview you on the show and we'll share that with others. All right. I'll believe it when I get the email and the call and, and when I see the check that you did, that you put together. But until that time, here's my recommendation. Start small. Start where you are with what you got. Teach your kids to buy an old bicycle and flip it up. That's going to be fix it up and then flip it. Um, you know, buy an old car for a couple thousand bucks. Paint it, flip it, clean it up and flip it. Keep your eye open on the side of the road for, uh, I don't know, I bought a trailer one time. This big old 20s, huge trailer. Uh, I could barely pull it at the time. It was so big. But I bought it cheap and I fixed it up and cleaned it. And, and um, I think I doubled it. Uh, I think I bought it for like 1500 bucks and I sold it for three grand, something like that. So it worked out. Um, keep an eye out for those little uh, those little deals. When you see a little piece of real estate, a little $4,000 lot, go ahead. Uh, buy the house. Flip the house. Look for something that's appropriate to you. Keep your eye out for those business deals that are around you. Some of you guys, I mean, saw it. <laughs> it's kind of a strange business, right? But Warren saw the business. He saw the opportunity and got involved. And he's a huge sod farmer here in Florida. So look for those opportunities around you. You can do this with kayaks or sod or fishing boats or tractors or skyscrapers. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. As far as it's all the same as far as the fundamentals. Yeah, it's a little bit different. You got to go in line with the market, find there's a demand. But ask you a question with what Warren described if you pulled him out of South Florida and put him somewhere else in the country or in the world do you think he'd do about the same thing he's done I'll let you answer that question <laughs> thank you all for listening to today's show if you'd like to support um, content like this uh, I would be pleased for you to become a patron uh, I would ask you to consider becoming a patron if you find economic value in these shows that's my only standard if you find economic value in these shows and if you'd like to support me and the work that I do uh, please feel free to become a patron of the show special benefits for you uh, you get access to a Facebook group you get access to uh, a special video presentation that I've done uh, you get access to uh, the Friday Q&A calls where you can speak with me directly um, all those details can be found at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Hey, if you just want to do a buck a month, that'd be great. Um, if you want to do a hundred bucks a month, hey, that's cool too. Got a few people that do that as well. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron for all those details. And I'll be back with you all soon. <laughs>